From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And away we go. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Well, thanks for joining us. Another busy show coming your way, so let's get to it on our panel. Uh, while the mainstream media continues to ignore virtually every other story except the Trump-Russia collusion fantasy, one story continues to develop in a very bizarre fashion, I must say, under the radar. And this one involves the massive DNC fraud lawsuit that's being held in Florida and the mysterious deaths of three high-profile attorneys in Congresswoman and former DNC Chief Debbie Wasserman Schultz's district in Florida. Three high-profile attorneys dead. George Freund from Conspiracy Cafe and Megan Barth from ReaganBabe.com will be here on the panel to discuss in moments. Then, an asteroid named Apophis is headed this way. Some say it's on a collision course with Earth in 2029. Derek Gilbert from Skywatch TV is here to tell us more. Dan Perkins, radio TV personality, current events commentator, will weigh in on the Omar Khadr payout and apology. We haven't had a chance to address that as yet, even though this sort of happened in the, uh, the dead of night. They tried to sneak this one by us, the liberal government did, July the 6th, I think. And uh, unfortunately, we only are getting around to talking about it now, but better late than never. So Dan Perkins will be here. Our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box, Just Ahead, Mailbag, uh, Second Hour, Open Lines, of course. And then, I'm looking forward to this, a good colleague of mine, a good friend, colleague uh, from coast to coast, Dave Schrader who is also the host of Darkness Radio, and uh, which is out of the Twin Cities, Minneapolis-St. Paul, one of the uh, top paranormal radio programs out there. And he'll pop by in the, uh, the last half hour of the show to discuss some of his more frightening investigations, Dave Schrader. Uh, before all that, let me quickly introduce the boys in the band, as per usual, on the Gibson Flying V guitar. Technical producer Ian Robertson is here. And uh, on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, the intrepid Albert Vinzel, my story producer. And finally, on the Hammond B3, my feature producer, Ryan White. Gentlemen, welcome all. All right, let's get to uh, what's in the box. Two winners in a row the last couple of weeks. Two in a row. Let's see if we can keep the streak going. Remember, remote viewers, send your answers to my Twitter feed. At Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, 20 years in the business, still having to spell my last name. <laughs> At Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, you must use the hashtag TCS Remote, TCS, the conspiracy show, TCS Remote. And here are your coordinates. The object hidden from view is in the cigar box to my left, sitting on the studio desk here at 70 Jefferson Avenue in the Liberty Village of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All right, now allow the object, the size, the shape, the color, the texture to form in your mind. Albert already has his eyes closed in deep contemplation. And uh, again, good luck to you all. Send your answers to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. Don't forget to follow and use the hashtag TCSRemote. All right, to the panel we go. Since uh, the summer of last year, a group of people who supported the campaign for Senator Bernie Sanders have been waging a legal battle against the DNC for alleged fraud, claiming 
the DNC and then Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz uh, worked to undermine Sanders in favor of Hillary Clinton. Since May, three high-profile attorneys involved in the massive DNC fraud lawsuit being held in Florida in Wasserman's congressional district have turned up dead. Now, the lawyer for the plaintiffs in the case has asked for court protection. There's been a virtual media blackout in this case. Let's find out what's going on. George Freund is the creator, host, and producer of the wildly successful podcast, Conspiracy Cafe. George, welcome. How are you, my friend? Oh, very good, Richard. Megan Barth is the founder and proprietor of ReaganBabe.com and a nationally recognized political commentator. Megan, welcome to you once again. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Richard. Happy to be back. George, who are these three attorneys uh, that were found dead and under what circumstances? Just give us kind of a thumbnail, if you could. Well, basically, we have uh, an attorney who was suicided. And then, as I also see, we have another chap named Wax who was run over by a car. And uh, that's a, a very common MO to get rid of somebody. I've been down that trail myself with the uh, truck across the uh, highway uh, thing and survived. So I I know that one very, very well. One of my colleagues at that channel was frequently set up uh, on his bicycle where he was almost run over uh, many times two summers ago. And this uh, wise not uh, character, he was, uh, you know, found dead on the beach. And you know, you're a young, successful attorney. You're, you're, you know, getting into probably one of the biggest cases of your career. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, somebody takes you out. And uh, you know, robbery is not a motive. It, it just seems like a typical operation that you'd always find from that old list that goes back to when Bill Clinton was president, the Friends of Bill Club. And, uh, of course, now taken over pretty much by his wife, the Friends of Hillary Club. It just seems that anyone who has anything to know about anything about their history or their cases uh, conveniently ends up dead under, you know, the most bizarre circumstances that you could possibly imagine. And the the list is, in this repertoire, very, very much uh, larger, even the pilot of the plane that uh, Loretta Lynch and Bill Clinton met on is there's, you know, Internet rumors, very strong ones, that uh, he's been murdered even though he was under protection. Oh, Dimitri Noonan. Well, I'm not sure about that one, George. I've kind of looked into that one. I, I have serious doubts about the veracity of that one. However, let's circle back to the three, the three attorneys. Megan, how are these attorneys connected to the DNC lawsuit? Well, well, this is a very interesting story, and I don't believe in coincidences. And and the left will always accuse the right of this vast right-wing conspiracy. But when you add up the numbers, it seems as though we have a a lot of body bags uh, that are lining up behind this scandal related to voter integrity, voter fraud, and directly the DNC under Debbie Wasserman Schultz, her rigging, of the election. I always said, if Debbie Wasserman Schultz can rig the primary, what would prevent the Democrats from ringing the general? Uh, if they've already abandoned all ethics and standards, uh, then why not go for the main prize? And I will contest and I will tell all of your listeners as well as your guests and yourself, Richard, that because of the evidence I presented to directly to the DOJ, we are under an FBI investigation into voter registration fraud and voter regist- uh, and voter fraud in Nevada. I've seen the template. 
it is uh, it's something that could be easily duplicated and replicated across all 50 states. Uh, all of the lawyers associated with this uh, lawsuit related, not all, but a majority, three. I mean, this, this is a substantial number. If you want to talk about statistics, you look at threes. That's the trifecta. And so we have a statistical significance that the lawyers related to the DNC, the, the lawsuit against the DNC by Sanders activists, have been found in a variety of, you know, unsubstantiated, unusual suicides or deaths, uh, Seth Rich being the most notorious. Uh, but then you also look at the Clinton Foundation, and I have to say that we had another suicide, very questionable suicide, uh, that involved a Haitian Right. Attorney. Uh, and the mainstream media silence over Klaus Eberwin's death is truly deafening. Uh, Eberwin or Eberwein, uh, E-B-E-R-W-E-I-N, uh, is a former Haitian government official who was a vocal uh, on the streets of New York and a Trump supporter in how the Clinton Foundation basically uh, f- uh, funneled all of the money not into Haiti after the hurricane, but into their own self-interest. Virtually 99% uh, of that money uh, uh, did not find its its way into the hands of uh, those people in Haiti doing earthquake relief. That's right. Correct. And, and uh, this individual was, was pointing this out. And, and the day before, Eberwin, Klaus Eberwein, was supposed to testify at the age of 50. He was found dead with a gunshot wound. The day before, and it was a gunshot wound to the head. Does that sound like Vince Foster, who somehow committed suicide with a gunshot to the back of his own head? Yes, it does. Uh, eerily yeah. familiar. It's it's one of those we've seen this movie before. We know how it ends, uh, and it's it, it, it's almost it, it comes at us so quickly. We keep, we don't even have time to deal with all of this stuff, uh, and and yet the mainstream media. Purposeful. Yes. Uh, that is pur- purposeful. But uh, back to these these three lawyers. Uh, have you ever seen a case in the United States uh, where the the lawyer for either side, either the plaintiff or the defense, has asked to have court protection? This sounds like something in the, from the third world. I I can respond to that um, personally and directly uh, because of the evidence that I uncovered here in Nevada, I had to be put under protection oh. as well as my family. All and right. so this is, the, the, the voter fraud is the silver bullet to the DNC and to the Democrat network of criminals, which is what the DNC is. And once we expose that through the Election Integrity Commission, uh, they will be a party of yesteryear because they can only win by cheating. Uh, George, uh, in, I, re, I seem to recall in one news account where Wasserman actually threatened one of the local law enforcement, might have been the local sheriff. Uh, is there, do well, you that recall was the that? the Capitol Police uh, chief. They were doing a budget meeting, and she wanted her laptop back, and they threatened to cut the budget of the Capitol Police unless the chief returned her property, which is probably just loaded with all sorts of evidence because she was hiring a very nefarious character by the name of Imran Awan and gave him complete access to congressional computers, something that no IT tech in Congress has access to. And it was up to like 80 congresspeople. 
and he could get into classified materials without any checking about what he's looking at or where. And this guy's uh, background is, you know, that he was even threatening his mother with death over uh, an estate when his father died. Uh, she was she had to get a secret phone and, and call the police to report him to get protection for herself. And uh, she never let this guy go. Twenty other Congress people did, and uh, but she didn't. And there's also evidence that came out from the American Statistical Association that there was vote flipping in her congressional district and also with the uh, primary with Bernie Saunders. It so this is exactly the same. So this class action lawsuit really is not the story. It, made, it just seems like it's the tip of the iceberg, and there are so many other things that the DNC is trying to hide that may come to light uh, during this trial. We are sadly out of time. We'll revisit this one, I'm sure. Megan Barth, ReaganBabe.com, George Freund, Conspiracy Cafe, the podcast. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. When we come back, asteroid Apophis 99942 could collide with Earth in 2029. According to a Russian scientist, that was a prediction made back in 2006. We'll get more details from Derek Gilbert from Skywatch TV when we come back. Stay with us. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. The big reveal for our weekly remote viewing experiment, a mailbag, and Dan Perkins on the Omar Cotter payout and apology still to come this hour, open lines, and then Dave Schrader, uh, my colleague at Coast to Coast and also the host of Darkness Radio, will join us. That's in uh, hour two. Uh, back in 2006 at a press conference in Moscow, Sergei Smirnov, a senior researcher at the Pulkovo Space Observatory announced that on April the 13th, 2029, the asteroid Apophis 99942 will be at its closest distance to the Earth for 200 years. Uh, the asteroid will pass the Earth at a distance of 30,000 to 40,000 kilometers. That sounds like a, a, a huge gap, but that's a, that's a, an eyelash, uh, in, uh, you know, in galactic terms, I suppose. This crosses the geostationary orbit where all the telecommunications and a lot of military satellites are, he said at the time. Whatever happens, the Earth will feel the effect of the asteroid, and in the worst case, it will collide with the Earth, and at best, it will damage equipment in space in the geostationary orbit. Could Apophis be a fulfillment of biblical prophecy? Derek Gilbert hosts Skywatch TV, a Christian television program that airs on several U.S. national networks. Also, the long-running interview podcast, A View from the Bunker. And he's the co-host of Sci Friday, a weekly television program that analyzes science news with his wife, author Sharon K. Gilbert. He's the author of the novels The God Conspiracy and Iron Dragons. His latest is The Great Inception. Satan's psyops from Eden to Armageddon. Derek, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you? It's my honor to be here, Richard. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I have to say that uh, prior to getting back into broadcasting, which I have, uh, uh, I started in and back in 1980. I spent about four years in outside sales, driving four to six hours a day, and um, because talk radio is is not really that interesting. You get tired of the political fighting back and forth after a while. Uh, your podcast is one of the few that I would make a point of listening to 
plugging into my iPod and keeping me company as I drove across the uh, southern half of Illinois for four years. Well, that's very kind of you to say, Derek, and I'm glad that I could keep you company, and we're it's delighted to have you with us. Thank you. Um, tell us about Apophis and uh, the, the impact. Uh, give us sort of the dimensions. How big is it? And let's say for worst-case scenario, it were to hit the Earth. What kind of an impact would it have? How large a crater, etc.? Well, it's being described as uh, the size of an aircraft carrier. And if it were to hit, uh, the estimates are that it could take out a major urban center, uh, New York, Washington, Toronto, uh, Chicago. It, it basically would destroy a city. Uh, if it were to hit in the Pacific Ocean, Atlantic Ocean, uh, coastal areas would be threatened by tsunamis. Um, so th- this is a pretty big rock. It was only discovered in 2004. And I think it's interesting, and this is, I guess I take a little more of a, um, a, a, a uh, an allegorical view of, uh, of it prophetically while taking a little more of a literal view of the uh, supernatural realm in general uh, in, in terms of, the, uh, uh, of what this rock represents. And by that I mean, uh, I, I, I know that there are some spiritual leaders out there. We've seen, in fact, in the last week, uh, pronouncements from Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox rabbis that uh, perhaps this is a sign of the uh, the Messiah's imminent return. Um, yeah, I, I don't know about that, but I just think it's very interesting that uh, in this modern age where the supernatural realm, at least in the world of academia, is not really given much credit, mm-hmm. they've decided to continue with the practice of naming bodies in outer space after these... Uh, uh, these mythological uh, or pagan entities, if you prefer. Yeah, tell us about the origin of the name Apophis. Yeah, Apophis in Egyptian cosmology, and I think we do it a disservice calling it mythology that makes it sound like Aesop's fables. Uh, this was part of their religion. They believed that uh, uh, Apophis was the uh, the primordial chaos serpent. It was essentially at one with everything that existed before there was anything. Uh, and then there's a couple of different stories as to how the sun god Ra and the solar disk was created, and then Ra, they believe, created everything that is. Well, uh, Apophis hates the fact that there is something other than what was before, which was nothing, and so every night when the sun goes down, uh, as uh, Ra guides his solar barge across the sky, Apophis rises up and tries to eat the sun, uh, essentially trying to return the uh, uh, the order of the, the cosmos into the primordial chaos that existed before. Um, and uh, every night, Set, who uh, the later Egyptians demonized, made him a bad guy, you know, the, the one who cut up his brother Osiris into 14 pieces, um, would ride on the front of this solar boat and have to defend the boat against Apophis. But the interesting thing is that when you look at the religion of the ancient world, the ancient Near East, the, the Mesopotamians, the, the Hebrews, the Canaanites, uh, the, the Hurrians, the Hittites, the Egyptians, they all had a common theme when it came to the origins of the universe, and that was a warrior god had to defeat a cosmic uh, chaos dragon or serpent of some kind. And you see that myth from the Sumerians, the Babylonians, the, uh, the Canaanites, uh, the Egyptians, which is where we get the name Apophis, and uh, even in the Bible. You see God, Yahweh, defeating the uh, primordial chaos uh, represented by Leviathan. So it is, as you say, ironic, to say the least, uh, that these secular, for the most part, secular materialist scientists uh, would name a potential planet-killing asteroid after this Greek demigod. Exactly right. Now, 
it's it's going to pass, as you mentioned, it's going to pass very close to Earth inside the orbit of some of our uh, geosynchronous uh, and geostationary satellites. Um, we're told that because of the angle of approach, it's probably not going to hit anything. Uh, but the distance, uh, you know, is so close that uh, it's like less than one-tenth of the distance between the Earth and the Moon. I mean, the Moon is, uh, what, about uh, 239,000 miles away? Right, And uh, right. this is, this is going to be about 19,000 miles, so about 30,000 uh, 30, kilometers. So it, this is a very close pass, and uh, astronomers do say that it's going to change the orbit of Apophis by about 28 degrees, they think, but they're making their best guess. Again, they only discovered it in 2004. They took uh, closer readings by radar when it passed by in 2013. Um, they say there's no chance it's going to hit uh, in 2029. There's another pass coming in 2036, but uh, that's going to be at about 30 million miles away. Um, but, again, we don't really know for sure until it passes how the uh, gravity of the Earth is going to affect the POFUS. Again, I just think it's really interesting that you've got this... this uh, Potential, uh, potentially destructive asteroid, which is really big as asteroids go, uh, named for this uh, <laughs> this ancient mythological uh, Earth-destroying chaos dragon that shows up consistently by different names in these other ancient religions. Indeed. Uh, Derek Gilbert is with us, Skywatch TV, and uh, his latest book is The Great Inception. Satan psyops from Eden to Armageddon. Uh, I've read an account where the uh, the crater it could create a crater about a mile and a quarter across, and uh, it would be almost seventeen hundred feet deep. Mm-hmm. So as you say, even if it were to touch down uh, somewhere on the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean, the uh, ensuing tsunami would uh, wreak tremendous uh, tremendous damage. Some are saying uh, that this could be a fulfillment of, let's say, um, Revelation, perhaps Wormwood. Do you think uh, that's a possibility? If it were to hit, certainly uh, we're, we're looking at that kind of an event. Uh, the estimate of the impact force is something like 65,000 times the uh, the blast at Hiroshima in 1945. So uh, it would certainly be devastating. Um, when we look at the Book of Revelation and look at the uh, uh, the, the uh, you know mountains falling from the sky uh, that, that are prophesied, uh, wormwood being the best known, uh, yeah, this would be the kind of thing that would fulfill that prophecy. Um, again, I'm taking a little more of an allegorical look at this while at the same time being a little more literal in the origin of the name and the origin of the uh, the stories that have emerged about it. Um, as a Christian, I do tend to look at the Bible as a uh, pretty accurate account of the way things, uh, the way things developed and the way things were. Um, so we're looking at something happening prior to Genesis 1, verse 2, where uh, we read that God, uh, after creating the heavens and the earth, um, that the Spirit of the uh, spirit of God hovered over the, the deep, was uh, hovering over the waters. Uh, darkness was over the deep. And the word translated deep uh, into English as uh, deep is the Hebrew word tehom. Now, this Hebrew word is a cognate, meaning same word, different spelling, um, to an Akkadian word, Temtum, which was their version of Tiamat. Now, Tiamat was just the Sumerian chaos dragon, another version of Apophis. Ah, interesting. So, interesting. Um, my, my book is essentially a, uh, makes the case that the Bible is a record of a long war between the Creator, Yahweh, and these uh, small-g rebellious gods, or fallen angels, if you prefer, who rebelled against his authority. But... Um, 
contrary to most of us who believe that um, the first rebel in the Bible is the serpent in the Garden of Eden, apparently there was something going on in Genesis 1 with this, uh, this abyss or the deep. Uh, again, these stories from Mesopotamia are consistent in that something representing chaos in the form of a dragon had to be defeated by a warrior god. The Bible calls him Yahweh, of course, the creator. Uh, the Mesopotamians got the story different. They called, It was Ninurta, it was uh, Marduk, it was uh, Baal, it was, uh, in, in the case of the Egyptians, every night uh, it was over and over set defending the, uh, the solar boat against Apophis. So this struggle continues all through the Bible. There are other references to uh, Leviathan, uh, to uh, Rahab. And then, uh, interestingly enough, in the book of Revelation, we're told that when the new heaven and the new earth replace the old heaven and the old earth, which pass away, uh, in Revelation 21, there's a, a curious reference that says, and the sea was no more. Now, if the old earth passed away, you would assume that the oceans and everything on the earth would pass away. So why mention the sea separately? Interesting, because right. The sea represents the abyss, represents the primordial chaos from which God created everything. So, Apophis coming back to earth in 2030, 2029, uh, making a close pass. Uh, to me, prophetically, what it symbolizes is the time for this final confrontation between God and the forces of chaos. Is uh, getting very close. A warning shot over the the bow from uh, from Lucifer. Uh, in yeah. terms of your understanding of you know, end times prophecy, is 2029 getting kind of late in 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 the end times chronology? Well, that's that's an interesting question. It depends on who you ask. I tend to be very reluctant to set any kind of dates. Um, I, I made the case. Uh, recently, that the, the spirit of the age, which is a phrase that the Apostle Paul used in the New Testament in referring to Satan, Lucifer, uh, I made a, the argument that you could um, identify Ishtar, the Babylonian goddess of sex and war, as the spirit of the age, because that certainly sort of defines the times in which we live. Um, so uh, we could be closer than that. There are a lot of people who say, you know, I don't think we'll make it to 2029. I honestly don't know. I don't know. Um, I know a lot of people expected bad things in 2012. Um, that didn't seem to happen. Um, I don't want to set a definite date because, uh, uh, well, for one thing, we're told as Christians that we won't know the day or the hour. Um, but uh, I, I just don't consider myself smart enough to be able to um, figure out exactly when that day is going to hit. Um, at the rate things are going, it, it does seem that our world has... Um, undergone a radical change, a sea change, over the last 10 years. So, yeah, 2029 might be getting a little late in the game. Um, certainly, we're a lot closer to the end than we were 2,000 years ago. The, the fact that, uh, that this potentially, this potential planet killer, Apophis, wasn't discovered until 2004, and then they started talking about it in 2006, uh, that, that's kind of alarming, because that then we have to ask ourselves, well, what else is looming out there? What other, you know billiard ball is around, you know, ready to collide with us that we haven't even seen yet. Mm. The Near-Earth Objects uh, Project at JPL tries to track it, um, but the fi you know, if, from what I've read, and this is not an area of my expertise, but from what I read, and I try to keep on top of it as I comment on the news on a daily basis on Skywatch TV, is that uh, the, the resources that we've allocated to trying to find these Near-Earth Objects is not anywhere what we need to really do a good job of scanning the skies, because... 
several times a year, we'll, we'll hear suddenly, uh, oh, by the way, we've just discovered an asteroid that's going to pass by the Earth in the next 48 hours. Um, generally, they're pretty small. It would probably burn up in the atmosphere, but the fact that things are coming that close to us, uh, and we, we're not finding out about it until the last day or two before the pass, yeah, that is a little bit uh, concerning. Um, I am not quite as conspiratorial about the motives of NASA and, and JPL as some others. Uh, yeah, I understand black budgets, and I understand the government doing things that they don't want us to know about. Um, I, I am not one, however, who believes that everything NASA tells us is a lie. Um, I, I do think that if something were coming our way, um, we would probably find out about it, if not from NASA, then from some of the other uh, hundreds of thousands of amateur astronomers around the planet who have telescopes trained on the sky. Uh, Derek, how can, uh, how can we see Skywatch TV? Up? Is there any way we can watch it up here in Canada? We've got a uh, YouTube channel in Canada. Um, I'm not sure if uh, Roku is available. Um, I mean, if our channel is available on Roku in Canada. I think so. We do have a Roku channel, uh, YouTube, and everything is posted to the website, all the video links at uh, skywatchtv.com. Excellent. All right, and again, uh, the new book is called The Great Inception, Satan Psyops, From Eden to Armageddon. There's a shot of the book for you on YouTube. Derek, thank you so much. I'd love to have you on again. I hope you'll uh, come and join us once more. Anytime. It's my honor. All right. Thank you. When we come back, the results of our remote viewing experiment plus our mailbag next on The Conspiracy Show. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Next uh, segment, Dan Perkins, radio TV personality, current affairs a commentator, will join us to weigh in on something we haven't had a chance to discuss, and that is the Omer Cotter uh, payout and apology from the liberal Canadian government uh, back July the 6th. Right now, though, it is time for the results of our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box? And uh, as I mentioned earlier, the last two weeks, we had some remarkable responses. Two weeks ago, we had a gentleman who guessed a lock. He said a combination lock. It was, in fact, a padlock or a key lock. Close, very close. Last week, we had a gentleman who guessed a uh, World War I vintage toy soldier, which wasn't exactly on the mark. It was a tank. But to me, that's pretty close, so I had to reward that as well. So congratulations to those. Uh, incidentally, if we have a correct answer tonight or something that's so close it can't be ignored, we will uh, set them up with some lovely merchandise from the online store at theconspiracyshow.com, T-shirts and, and, um, and mugs and iPhone uh, and Android uh, phone cases and so forth. Check it out. If you're a fan of the show, why not show it off and help support the work we do here? It's the online store at theconspiracyshow.com Alright, let's go over to uh, Ryan and uh, we'll check the Twitter feed. Again, for future reference, remote viewers, use the hashtag TCS and uh, you can send those to me at Richard Serrett, my Twitter feed at Richard Serrett. What guesses do we have tonight, Ryan? Tons of great ones again tonight. Daniel thinks it's a plastic comb or brush. John, a whale or shark. Robert, a pirate's eye patch. Durko, a book of matches. YY, a black flower or phone. Steven thinks it's a legendary Pokemon card. Mike sees nothing. He thinks there's nothing in the box. Mm. Heidi a, sees a small spark plug. Drew sees a timing mechanism, maybe a watch, maybe an hourglass. Alan sees a souvenir spoon, possibly a Niagara Falls souvenir spoon. James, a wind-up toy. Bill, a golf ball. 
air in a roll of tape, sally a cylinder without the lid, and open your eye in iceberg figurine. Interesting. Well, I will say one thing. Sometimes I go down into the basement and I peruse the twins' toy box and see if there's anything I want to put in there. That's why I had the tank last week. There actually was, I mean, my kids have Pokemon cards everywhere, and I thought about, I did think about putting a Pokemon card in there tonight. So whoever guessed that, no, they weren't guessing. Whoever saw that, I have to give them kudos, but that's not what's in the box. But let's go around the horn here. Ian Robertson, my fine rockabilly friend, what are you seeing? I'm seeing something metal, small but heavy. Maybe a key for the padlock. Ah, all right. Albert. Legged, black, and muffled. So I'm making a guess again. A stuffed panda teddy bear. All right. And Ryan. I see maybe a, a small piece of fine china, maybe uh, old from your grandparents or something like that, finely decorated. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I don't think we're going to give any merchandise away this week. It is, in fact, a magnifying glass. A magnifying glass. Did someone say an hourglass? Someone said a timing mechanism, a watch, stopwatch, timer, hourglass. Hourglass. Mm, that's the closest, but I don't... Well, what do you guys think? Is that close enough? I don't... I'm, I'm not... The closest, I, I don't think close enough. Not close enough, exactly. All right. But, but well done, everyone. Thank you for participating. And again, it's a magnifying glass. All right. So we'll try again in two weeks. There'll be no remote viewing experiment next week. Incidentally, what's on the program next week, Albert? We're doing a, a Roswell, Roswell special. special. Yeah. That's right, Don Schmidt. In the pantheon of Roswell investigators, there's Stanton Friedman and then there's Don Schmidt. And Don Schmidt will join us for the full two hours along with our good friend Victor Vigiani. That's next week, a two-hour special. All right, let's go to the mailbag. And we have, I understand, Albert, tremendous uh, feedback from last week's special on targeted individuals. Yeah, that's becoming the specialty of the show. It tons of stuff coming in on that. From Rain we have the shadow government is a pack of organized criminals. They use the phrase national security to hide all of their crimes, and then they find people to go along with traitorous programs. Their lawless behavior needs to stop. Candyman says voice to skull isn't the worst part of the program. The worst part is the weird medical problems, strange things they can do to you, such as putting your brain in a loop, causing Alzheimer's, chronic fatigue, and paranoia. I've experienced all of these and many more. Joseph says, if you're having a hard time with voice to skull, put on a pair of headphones and listen to eight songs at the same time. It's not the best, but it helps you avoid hearing what they say to you. It goes on, another TI named Chris says, I'm a TI. I had technology put in my body when I was a child. I am part of a mass surveillance operation called Spies Are Us. There are at least 75,000 other TIs in the country that are part of this program. The story goes on with narcotics trafficking, mind control, and that they can't find help anywhere. I know for a lot of people who listen to this type of program and they say, this is impossible, this is ridiculous, these people are paranoid, they're delusional, and there may be some that are paranoid and delusional or have underlying mental health issues. And I've heard that number bandied about, 75,000. I've heard more. I've heard up to 300,000 North Americans being targeted, which is roughly, what, 1% of the population? 300,000? No, 1,000th. One one-thousandth, one one right, because it's roughly 300 million. You're right. So, um, grade 7 math. 0.1%. <laughs> Richard, can you math? Uh, so, still, when you when you have that number, there, there is something to this. I am convinced 
Albert, we'll do another show on this sometime. I'm not going to say in the next, I'm not going to put a date on it, but we will revisit this. We'll do another special for sure. And uh, tremendous feedback from that program. Thank you all. All right, when we come back, the shameful, disgraceful payout and apology to convicted terrorist Omar Cotter. Dan Perkins joins us when The Conspiracy Show returns. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Just a reminder, and get your uh, questions, comments ready, because after the top of the hour, open lines. Part of our relatively new format here on The Conspiracy Show, open lines for the first half hour of the second hour. Uh, And then, in the last half hour of the program, looking forward to this, Dave Schrader, my colleague at Coast to Coast AM, and also the host of Darkness Radio, uh, perhaps the top paranormal radio program out there on the scene today. Dave Schrader will be here to talk about some of his more unusual, more frightening, perhaps, um, paranormal investigations, hauntings, and so forth. Uh, he'll be with us. Uh, earlier this month, the uh, Liberal government of Canada agreed to pay convicted terrorist and former Guantanamo prisoner uh, Omar Cotter over $10 million, $10.5 million, in a lawsuit alleging civil rights violations. And the settlement also included a formal apology from the federal government. The Canadian-born Cotter was just 15 in 2002 when he tossed a grenade in a firefight that killed U.S. Army Sergeant First Class Christopher Spear, a Special Forces medic. Uh, Tabitha Spear, uh, the soldier's widow, and Lane Morris, who was blinded in the same firefight, won a $134 million U.S. wrongful death default judgment against Cotter two years ago in the state of Utah. Lawyers for the widow and Morris then requested an order freezing Cotter's assets after he was paid out the $10.5 million. But last week, a Canadian judge threw out the request, calling it extraordinary and draconian. Here to discuss is Dan Perkins, a master storyteller, author of The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy, which centers around Islamic nuclear terrorism against the USA. He's a nationally recognized expert on radical Islam and a contributor to DailyCaller.com, ClashDaily.com, DailySurge.com, and TheHill.com. Dan, welcome back. Do we have Dan Perkins? There he is. Yeah. Hey, Dan. I'm also also writing now for... Laura Ingram's life set and for constitution.com. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Laura Ingram. You know, I got to tell you, I was kind of hoping that she would be uh, named press secretary. She just does a fabulous job. She does. She does. Very passionate. So, Dan, what do you make of this? As sort of as an American looking in, at, at, do you think this is going to cause or has it caused any damage to U.S. Canada relations? The fact that we, we paid out $10.5 million to a convicted terrorist. Uh, who killed an American soldier, serviceman, and uh, severely injured another, uh, and then we issue an apology? Has that done any damage, as far as you can tell? I, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's going to do any damage with the with the people because, in all candor, I'm not sure that many of the people even know about the story. Um, but I do think it's important to to put some facts in order on this story. Um, the young man was a natural-born citizen of Canada. He left of his own free will to leave Canada and go to Afghanistan and fight for the terrorists against the coalition. He killed an American soldier, maimed another, was captured, 
tried and convicted of murder. Uh, I am amazed that he only got eight years. He served six of the eight years, is released to the Canadian government for his remaining two years, and he decides to sue the Canadian government, basically saying that he was mistreated, and while he admitted that he did kill the, and maim the other soldier, his, his, con, his confession was extracted under harsh circumstances, and more specifically, because he was sleep-deprived. Right. They call it the frequent flyer program, where they're basically moved from one cell to another every three hours. I'm sorry, but uh, I know that is considered in some quarters to be a form of torture. But ask any uh, recent parents... Uh, with newborn children in the house, uh, they go far through far worse than the frequent flyer program, and that lasts for about, well, in some cases, until the kids go away to college. Uh, excuse right. me for being flippant, but, I mean, it's just ridiculous. No, I, agree. I agree with you. It's ridiculous. Then the court, so the court decides, and we, we, may, uh, we may have a disconnect. Uh, the reports that I saw in the U.S., what it was $20 million dollars, you're saying ten and a half, still a lot of money in either case. Well, they were. There was uh, the the case was amended several times, and in the final, uh, I believe in 2014, they were asking for 20 million. And so this is sort of the justification of the liberal government up here. They said, well, we were going to lose. It was just a question of how much, and if we didn't end it now, it would have gone on. The court proceedings would have dragged on, and it could have ended up costing us more. That's their rationale. Now, to be okay. fair, a number of lawyers, ex legal experts, and clearly I am not, uh, have weighed in and said that the, the chance of Cotter winning this settlement was 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 pretty good, and, and so perhaps, you know, the liberals had to... Uh, had to settle. Here's my question, and again, not a legal uh, mind, but there is there is a concept in the law called a civil death, and mm -hmm. that is that if you commit a heinous crime like murder, I mean, you lose your civil rights. That's civil death. Why why are we talking about a convicted terrorist having his civil rights violated? I mean, first of all, shouldn't he have been treated as an enemy combatant? This is a military that's, matter. That's why he was in Guantanamo Bay. Exactly. This is a military he matter, not... He wasn't, he wasn't tried in the United States, nor was he tried in Canada. He was tried at a milita the military base at Guantanamo Bay as an enemy combatant. Um, so at that point in time, when you're, when you're an enemy of the government, I don't see how you have standing in the government. Uh, but maybe there's something peculiar about Canadian law that gave him that. The other part of the, of the piece which you touched on is that the Utah court had given a wrongful death. Now, maybe, maybe that's the equivalent of what you, you call it in Canada. But there was a wrongful death settlement or suit uh, for about $132 million, which they won. But the Canadian court, as I understand the ruling, when they decided one that the government had to pay this gentleman your number ten and a half million dollars, the government, and they didn't say who in the government has to make the apology. Some have assumed it's Mr. Trudeau, but I don't know that I could make that assumption. But three, he basically said to the family of the murdered 
and wounded soldier, you have no claim against the award that he, the Canadian government, so you have no standing to take any of his assets, which I thought was incredibly unusual that a court, a foreign court, would determine whether or not a, the people who had not litigated and not sued him yet uh, take a preemptive strike and say that the family of the victims have no standing. That was very strange to me about in Canada. Maybe, maybe again, I'm not a, like you. I'm not a lawyer either, but I couldn't figure out, couldn't find anybody that could help me understand how the Canadian court could react to the U.S. court when the court found him guilty of wrongful death and 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 awarded them 132 million dollars. That's an excellent point. So, excellent point. I, I don't know. But but the idea that one government says we're going to pay you, these are my words, so excuse me, you're going to we're going to pay you for murdering an American citizen, but the parents of that American citizen that you mer you murdered has no entitlement to the money that you got because of the murder. Well the other the other thing that's confusing to me is uh, just a reminder to listeners, Dan Perkins is with us, and uh, he's the author of The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy, a nationally recognized expert on radical, radical Islam and a contributor to a number of publications. Uh, just recently, or just moments ago, he mentioned uh, Laura Ingram, one of my favorite uh, conservative commentators, also the Daily Caller, Clash Daily, Daily Surge, The Hill, etc. Um, but um, the even by Carter's own omission, or admission, these supposed civil rights violations occurred in Afghanistan and then in Guantanamo under American jurisdiction. So I don't understand how he could argue that Canada would be somehow liable for this. I mean, if there was, in fact, a civil rights violation, how does that affect, how does Canada enter into that? I've, I've never quite understood that argument. But I, I, I'm, again, as you said, and I agree with you too, but neither one of us are lawyers, but I am somewhat an observer of what goes on in Canada. And I, I would say to you, while I mean no disrespect to you personally, right. um, <laughs> some of my best friends are from Canada here down <laughs> in Southwest Florida, and there is a passion among those people down here about political correctness in Canada. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a problem. And I think that that's probably part of the, uh, and I'm assuming that if you have a preponderance of political correctness in the country, your court system is probably swayed towards political correctness, too. 100%. Although, uh, I think most of the polling has indicated that, that the majority of Canadians, uh, at least according to the polls that I've read, are very unhappy about this, uh, about this, uh, apology and, uh, uh, payout. Uh, is there, is there any precedent for anything like this in the United States? Has a convicted terrorist ever sued the United States, uh, for civil rights violations? If the trial took place under a military tribunal in Guantanamo Bay or any other part of the world, no, because in the United States, if you are tried by a military tribunal, you're considered to be a an enemy combatant and you don't have any rights. 
especially if the trial does not physically take place within the United States. Right, and that's what I, again, another big question for me is why this wasn't handled by a military tribunal. Why are we even discussing this in terms of, you know, civil rights violations? He was an enemy and combatant. Part of your answer to your question is the political correctness in Canada. All right, well, it is a, a shameful chapter in our, in our history. Uh, Dan Perkins, as always, a pleasure. Thank you so much. And how can people get a copy of not just one, but all three, The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy? And actually, the sequel coming out in about a month and a half are available from Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or can be ordered at your local bookstore. And the website is danperkins.guru. Dan, I always look forward to your visits, and uh, I look forward to the next one. Hey, say hi to Laura Ingram for me. Tell her I'm a big fan. I will. Thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. All right, Dan Perkins. All right, when we come back, open lines. Open lines.